0: Welcome back, everybody. This is Week Notes by Instill. I'm Ryan. I'm joined this week by Matt McComb and Maddie Wilson, and we're talking about side projects. Let's get to it. You should totally put uh, a microphone on your hardware budget.
1: I totally should. And I also need to get a proper webcam too, because in my confined space, I have a laptop stand and then the laptop's in the corner and then my screen's in front of me. So I have to keep turning around to the laptop if I want to actually look at people on video calls, which is, it's quite James Bond to pivot around to look at people every so often. It's very dramatic. So a webcam mounted in the monitor would be nice. I think it's probably got to that point in lockdown now where you really just do have to invest in the right equipment.
0: Yeah, unless we open up, in which case we'll be back to the office and you won't need it anymore. So
1: that's true. I think it's too late to buy any new
2: hardware with my own money because I feel that we're going to be out soon. That's where I'm at. That's some positivity for this uh, people listening to this episode. It's almost done. Don't buy any new webcams. The ones that you have will do.
1: So then do we expect to see the share price for Zoom drop dramatically now? <laughs> yes, time to sell. <laughs> yeah, stock recommendations from Matty.
0: You don't notice how bad a thing is until someone comes along and says, that's terrible. And then you go, actually, yeah, you're right, it is. I need to fix that. So camera setups and microphone setups, we've been surviving perfectly well with crappy webcams and laptops for years and then all of a sudden somebody comes along and says you know that camera's not very good you realize yeah that's not and i really should invest some money and get something decent
2: i never noticed how bad the macbook pro cameras were until we went into lockdown it's actually an embarrassment considering the, the front-facing camera that's on your iphone is pretty good like just yeah. put that camera in the Macs. like we have the components there you have a supply chain you do almost think it'll be cheaper they just use the same camera everywhere.
0: But it's thickness, it's Johnny Ive and his thinness. It's all Johnny Ive's fault. I think, that,
2: I think that era of Johnny Ive is dead. I think there's going to be a new Macs out this year and they're going to be thicker and they're going to have more ports and they're going to have a better camera.
1: Tara got one of the M1 Macs and his camera is a lot better, if you're going to call them.
2: They they say that nothing changed, only the image processor. Because yeah, it's usually an image processor from the iPhone now, but I think the hardware is nearly the same.
0: Okay, so let's actually talk about side projects. On the Northern Ireland Tech Slack, there's been a discussion about interviews and doing technical exercises as part of an interview. And I know it's not quite the same thing, but it's slightly related. And it comes to the question of, should we as developers always be prepared to do work outside of our day jobs in order to keep ahead? Should we always be doing homework? Is that acceptable?
1: I don't think it should be an expectation. I think everybody obviously has different levels of commitment in their lives. And as a dad of young kids, I would love to have an hour every evening to program. Realistically, that's highly unlikely most evenings. So people have different circumstances. So I don't think there should be that expectation. But from a, a CV and an interview perspective, it's nice to have something to talk about. Because usually if it's somebody's side project, They'll be, in a way, passionate about it and interested about it. And it just generally makes for a nice topic of conversation at times. In my experience, the most successful side projects are not when you're trying to learn a technology. They're the ones that end up on the scrapyard. It's when you're actually building something that you have a purpose for or a reason to do it. That's where I've had success in the past. When I say success, it's not success, just that they're finished. And they're not abandoned.
0: So you've actually finished a side project?
1: I have. I have finished two or three side projects, mostly mobile apps. Way back in 2010, I built a to-do list app, probably along with about 3 million other people. The main value proposition for mine was it was really simple because there was lots of other apps out there, to-do list apps, that were overly complicated. It did actually get a few positive reviews. I think there was a couple of thousand people who used it at the time. It was quite a good experience in that when you build a mobile app, you have to do aspects of design. You move into doing bits of marketing, bits of sales, analytics, even in some ways, bits of product management. So it gives you a bit more of a rounded experience as well. But that was probably the most boring of the site projects. After that, I made a bit of a step up. I thought, I'll build my own game engine. Yeah, don't do that. That was a really stupid idea. I came up with a concept for a game, which I still believe is a valuable valid concept.
0: Do you want to keep that secret or do you want to share it?
1: No, if somebody can build this, I'm happy to share the profit or even just a reference or an acknowledgement will do me fine. So everyone knows asteroids, obviously 70s arcade game, spaceship. You've got a bit of velocity from a little rocket that spins around and you have to blow up asteroids. So I came up with the concept of coloroids. So each asteroid was a different color. So it might've been red, green, blue, and you had to match the color of your bullet fired from the spaceship to the color of the asteroid to destroy it. And if you mismatched the color, the asteroid spawned another three asteroids. So it created this really weird sort of game dynamic where it was really calm at the start. There was only one asteroid, but it ramped up in difficulty because as soon as there's five asteroids, if your bullet was the wrong color and it hit another one, you would end up with three more. So it went from having like maybe the first minute or two, three or four asteroids to having like 60 so it got very hard very quickly but for at least three years whilst the game was in the store i remained the world champion which is <laughs> excellent pretty good game to fame and that's
0: on the top of your cv
1: that is on my cv yeah it still is uh, as it should be it's no longer in the store it was no longer compatible with the later versions of ios so it fell away yeah and then there's trip i TripNI was a iOS-only mobile app, probably in around 2013, it was built. It was built at a time that TransLink, our local bus and rail company, had an older version of their journey planner, which anybody who used it probably remembered that it didn't work very well. You probably couldn't find your stop. And if you could, it didn't list all of the bus or trains going past I and mean, there's quite a few limitations to it and there was no mobile app either and it definitely wasn't a responsive web page at the time and if you couldn't find your bus or your train then you had to go and download the pdf from the translink website it started as an exercise to try and scrape the website for the pdfs and then parse out the timetables into a sqlite database so that i could then publish that and other people could use it once i'd done it i then wondered if it could actually do live search on a mobile app over the SQLite database with all of the, the parsed route information in it. And that all worked quite well. So we built a little mobile app around it, which let you see all the departing buses from a stop or plan a journey from a departure to a, a destination point. And then moved on to doing journeys with stops as well, all using locally stored data. So you didn't even need a connection. The most tedious part of it was that I wanted to do location-based search. If you were nearby a stop, that you could search to find the name of that stop. So you didn't have to know where you were on the bus or real map. But obviously there was no GPS coordinates because there was no data. So I went through the database and found 100 or 200 top mentioned stops and then went on to Google Maps to try and find them on a map to get their lat long coordinates to manually put it into the database. That was dedication. That is dedication.
0: That is dedication. And did you crowdsource that? Is that now officially published Open Data?
1: I was going to give it back to TransLink and they didn't want it. I think at that time, there was a really long running dialogue between the development community and TransLink before all of this, where they were pushing for Open Data and TransLink every single year had responded with a reason as to why it hadn't been published yet. So I don't know if I ever published a database. I might have, I might not. I
2: think Open Data NI is pretty good now. It has a lot of this information you could probably build your app With a lot more ease these days. I was going to build an app for the glider just to sort of send me push notifications whenever the next glider was coming. And at the time, there was no glider information on Open Data NI, but it was promised that it was coming. Yeah, Open Data NI is a treasure trove for this kind of stuff.
1: It is. Unfortunately, at the time, it wasn't, but
2: (laughs) it didn't exist.
1: (laughs) It didn't exist.
2: The question I was going to ask Matt is, would you define a side project as being finished? Would that be one that's been pushed to the App Store?
1: I think if you can take any side project to the point where it's a publicly usable product, it's finished. I think to get to that point is incredibly hard with a side project. last couple of percent makes it humanly consumable. I think that's the, the challenging part, especially as a developer as well, when you're trying to do design and stuff yourself, although there is great services out now there for crowdsourcing design as well. Current side project, I haven't even discussed that one yet. I'm currently using Fiverr to get some app icon designs. So I was able to get an app icon design for 10, 15 pounds, which feels like a real treat to yourself. Once you've put in that effort, building a mobile app, if you can get an icon for it, it feels like you've really rewarded yourself. You've got something nice to badge it with. If you can publish it, yeah, I think that's the measure of success.
2: So, If you go onto my GitHub profile, you'll see like a graveyard of side projects. There's a website called killedbygoogle.com where it shows you all of the services that Google has started and then killed. I need to create my own one where it's like not even brought to life by matthew.com. And it's just this huge list of side projects that never got off the ground.
1: I think that's what you're aiming for. If you're looking to learn something or looking to experiment something, I think that's fine. I think it's going to be abandoned. I don't think any good app idea or concept is ever brought to life off the back of wanting to learn a particular language or framework or technology. So I think having a good graveyard of abandoned technical side projects is a positive thing.
2: Yeah. Whenever people ask me about applying for jobs, especially like grads and stuff, and say any advice, I say set up a GitHub account and just fill it full of junk. It doesn't even matter what's in it. People will just look at it and go, yeah, there's some stuff on here and then move on. As long as you have something that looks like you're busy, then that's what's most important.
1: I <laughs> <laughs> caveat that by saying probably shouldn't be template projects. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just forks of a whole other just people's th- repos. Yeah. yeah, fork this and change the
2: readme. Also, caveat if you're applying for a job and still, um, I'll not be fooled. I'll go and have a look at the actual repos. <laughs> but uh, in th- my, my side project started somewhere to map just mobile apps. Really, for me, I have this rule where I get paid to do certain things as a developer. So I get paid to write tests and I get paid to do back end work. But for me, the parts of development that I find that aren't work is iOS apps. So mostly any of my side projects that I've actually put effort into have all been obvious because it doesn't feel like work to me. Everything else feels like work. So me and a few friends had a few different projects. One of them was called Gumtree Spy. And this was before the Gumtree app was on the Android App Store. I didn't know if there is a Gumtree app on the Android App Store or not, but at the time there wasn't. So we obviously saw the gap in the market to put an app on the Android Play Store with the word Gumtree in it, because whenever somebody searched for Gumtree, our app would be top of the list. <laughs> so we had one called Gumtree Spy, and it, it was a scraper-based project as well. It's just scrape Gumtree for products that you were interested in. So let's say you were going to buy a piano. You would say, alert me whenever a piano appears in the Belfast area below a certain amount of money and it would just ping you whenever that appeared. And This all happened on device as well because... You we were young and, and stupid and we didn't think about doing it in a back end. So it's just like probably completely decimated people's batteries whenever this thing was running. And the major pain points with it was just keeping it up to date with Gumtree because they were forever changing their site. And it actually, it, it was a paid for app. So it made, it made a bit of money. Like it made enough money where we were like, here, this is pretty good. And then we got an email one day from eBay who owned Gumtree. And it was pretty much a takedown notice. Well it was actually, we were just told by Google, your app has been taken off the Play Store. And the reason why was because we used copyrighted name or maybe a trademark name, Gumtree, in the name of the app. And the app icon was very similar to the Gumtree icon as well. So, yeah, that was like one of those things where was just like, yep,
1: I got a takedown notice
2: for something that I made.
1: Clearly, Maddie, it was because they felt threatened.
2: I think so. And I also have to say, I did very little work on it as well. I was just there just... Because it was Android, I was like... Uh, Yeah, I don't really want to work on this. We'll build an iPhone version as well. But the iPhone one never got off the ground. So, yeah.
0: It's quite ironic that you could almost do that today on iOS and get away with it. Seems like that's an issue on the the App Store, impersonating other apps.
2: That seems to be the way to make money in the App Store now is to take somebody else's app and build a clone and just beat them in SEO. Or was it app search optimization or whatever? Yeah. Which is annoying. Because at the time, it was just like you could make some money on the app store, but now it's just way too competitive. You got to build a service instead.
0: Yeah. It's kind of funny that on Google, you got caught, whereas on iOS, you could probably get away with it. So that was your first one. Any more apps?
2: That was the one that was the most successful, I would say, because it made money. I made one summer to TripNI as well. It was called Traffic Watch NI. And uh, it pulled the RSS feed from, I think, is the app called? Is there a website, is the website actually called Traffic Watch NI? Mine was called something like that, Traffic NI Traffic or something like that. It pulled the RSS feed and plotted that all on a map. It was rejected from the App Store for being too simple, which really hurt. And all I did was you could share traffic incidents with your friends. It allowed you to push it to Twitter or Facebook. Yeah, I added that that feature in and that got me past App Store review as well. So there was another landmark moment where I was actually rejected for making an app that was too easy, which was I know I took it very personally because I'd spent the ages working on it. <laughs> and they just flat out rejected it for being too simple.
0: That wouldn't happen on the Google Play Store?
2: No, it would have just been allowed straight through. No, nobody cares about it.
0: No approvals there.
2: Current side project then, there's an app called Quiet Time Bible. Um, it's a Bible reading app. And I built it because I needed it. And this is probably why it's been the one that I put the most effort in. I was doing stuff on my iPad and I needed a good Bible app. Um, the biggest one isn't very iPad friendly. So I just built an iPad friendly version that did what I needed it to do. And really, the thing that I needed to do was being able to copy text, either by dragging and dropping it, or just uh, copying it out. So I built that app. And yeah, it gets regular downloads. And um, I'm pretty proud of it. I use it all the time. My dad uses it as well. He loves it. So it's good motivation. And it's the one where I built it not really to learn anything, but just built it because I needed it. And that's what keeps me putting regular updates. So I'm currently working on changing everything to use Swift UI. And I've actually, as part of that, I've found a nice pattern, which I think would, if I was to work on an iOS app now, I would probably copy that where instead of using Swift UI for my whole app, because it's a bit immature right now, I use Swift UI to build different parts of the app. Uh, like low-level things, like settings views and things like that. And I can just drop them into my current navigation stack that I have. So it means that I keep the the part that's off SwiftUI that we have found complicated at and still is just dealing with navigation. So you can still use UIKit to do all of that, but then host SwiftUI views inside of your existing stack. And it's just been a really nice way to migrate my app, which I built before SwiftUI was even out, and just slowly add new things. So I started with my settings view, which looks like any other iOS settings we use. SwiftUI is perfect for that. And I was able to just drop it in. And as part of that, you get things for free, like you get dark mode support, and things like adaptive text, where if somebody has their text size turned way up on their iPhone. My view now supports that without me having to actually do anything. So it's nice as you're working on a side project to figure out patterns that you can then bring into your day job.
0: Yeah. So. That's cool. But you would say then that just because your Quiet Time app is published, That it's not finished?
2: No, it's not finished because one of the things I wanted to do was to build an app that is always adding features to it with iOS releases. So if Apple adds something new in iOS 15, I would try and find one thing that I would add to my app because I like doing it. It's more like relaxing for me to play out with that stuff. And then I get to learn about that thing. So in iOS 14, obviously widgets were the big thing. So I added a widget uh, to my app and it was a nice, you know, couple of hours of work just. So whatever happens in iOS 15, I'll just pick one thing and add it into quiet time. So I also released this year the Mac version as well, which was fun. It's using Catalyst just, it's not a native app, but I'm going to write my own native Mac app as well because Catalyst is nice, but it's just not ready yet. It still feels like you're using an iOS app on your Mac. Again, it's just a nice way to slowly migrate onto a different platform. And I find that on the Mac App Store, you'll get a lot more downloads than you will in iOS App Store because there's less apps. So it's sort really of like the early days of iOS where you can get to the, the top of search results a lot easier.
0: Yeah. But I think Mac users tend to be a bit more discerning than iOS users. Is that a fair statement?
2: To be honest, I have I've had a lot of iOS feedback, very little Mac feedback, just waiting for that to start. It took a while. Whenever I first pushed the, the iOS version, there really was radio silence for a long time. But now I've been getting, you know, regular emails about adding different Bible versions, things like supporting adaptive text, stuff like that. We will get emails from people. Somebody complained that my dark mode was too dark and they actually sent me an email saying that they would like it to be a wee bit lighter. <laughs> which I just thought was funny because I'm just using like the native dark mode stuff. Like I didn't do anything fancy for it unless you yet to pick it up with Apple. <laughs> <laughs> Even like get an email, like that's nice to know that there's somebody out there using an app that you made and hopefully they're finding it useful, no matter what it is. So if you've written a piece of code and somebody's using that, it just feels really good. I guess like we get paid to build products for people and people use it all the time, but for some reason it doesn't feel as satisfying as something that you've built. It just feels like more of an accomplishment.
1: It's nice to think one day you might see someone using one of your side projects in the wild, as long as it's not causing them harm or (laughs) telling them the wrong bus. (laughs) Yeah.
2: (laughs) you got to find something that doesn't feel like it's work. It feels that you're just playing about, and it's hard to do that sometimes. I think you just got to be really passionate about what you're trying to build. If it's just something that you're like, oh, well, this is a good idea, even if you think this is an idea that's going to make me millions, if you're not passionate about it, you're probably not going to work that hard at it.